if you want to shut down the vocal minority, then you must be vocal yourself. But the quiet majority, I believe, is intimidated by the vocal minority. Of course, because the vocal minority are the are 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 the same people that will also come to your house and knock on your door. It's a misnomer to call them vocal minority. They are the valent minority. The the vocality of is just one tactic. It that 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 is violence when you hear people boo somebody on a stage who has said something that they didn't like. It is meant to be violent. Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. Phil, good to see you. We're back to continue our podcast. Again, thanks to Nationwide. Thanks to our listeners and to our producer, Nicole. That was a pretty heavy conversation that we had. I, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my arms around everything that we talked about because what's, what's interesting, and again, it's, it's me looking at it through my blue eyes, is the Civil War in 1860 was fought over slavery. And what seems to be going on now, if it's a continuation of it, there seems to be so much more to it than just black and white. And now we have a whole bunch of other people of color, but there seems to be so much more politics and differences between sides when it comes down to things right now. But this discussion of civil wars, it's painful to think about. It's it distressing to consider, but I think it's it's an interesting and challenging conversation. I can't deny anything you just said. I have to start out by saying, can you repeat the first statement you made? Do you remember the first statement you made about the Civil War? Well, the first statement I made was probably to the effect that the Civil War in the 1860s was regarding slavery. Was it? Was it regarding slavery? Based upon the education that I received. That you received. Ah. Right. Ah. Because most of the education that we received in the South was that Civil War was about state rights. Okay. If that's the case, it actually extrapolates everything we're seeing right now because everything seems to be about states' rights. When you look at the abortion discussion, gun control, everything is more at the state right level than it is at the slavery level. And what's even interesting is if you look at some of the indictments, the efforts to move them from a state level to a federal level are a question of state rights as well. So was it a battle of state rights or was it a battle over slavery? And if it was a battle over slavery, are we still battling that? And if it's a battle over state rights, are we still battling that? You've just walked right into my trap. I, I love it. And I'm not trapping you. It's the argumentative trap here that we're mm-hmm. talking about, right? Now, so first of all, I just saw a a cartoon about slavery made by the, I forgot the name of this, is it Pegasus U? 
something. I apologize. I shouldn't even introduce names. I can't say it right. But there is this group of people that is being funded primarily by two billionaire brothers. They've been funded for a while and they've created the propaganda view that they want to introduce into our elementary schools. And yet, at the same time, they want to ban the, the books of true historians who talk about the same issues. Now, they don't want to give, they don't want to talk about uh, gender expression or anything else until after you graduate from high school. But they want to say that slavery is a natural phenomenon throughout history. And in this cartoon, they actually make the statement that those people who are enslaved, at least they are alive. And then they raise the question, it is better to be alive than dead, right? Now, imagine your six-year-old coming home telling you that. At the same time, you should fight for liberty or death. So we say we want each state to determine their own basic rights and values. And that the Civil War was not, a, was, was not about, that the Civil War was a fight because the federal government was coming too powerful. It was trying to tell the South how to live. So what was the federal government telling the South that made them so angry that they had to go to war? Was it taxes? No. They didn't particularly like paying taxes on cotton that they sold on the backs of slaves. But that wasn't a big issue. Was it religion? No. Southern Protestants were just like Northern Protestants. I mean, they may have had some differences, but that wasn't a big issue either. The big issue was the Northern states had abolitionists. And through their religion, they were saying slavery was wrong. And indicting slavery, they indicted a way of life in the Southern states. So states' rights became a euphemism they could hide behind. If you accept that the fight was about states' rights, you're hiding the fact that the one issue that the one state right they were, they were willing to go to war for was slavery. So I get angry just looking at the delusion, the, the, the illusion, the, the, deceit, the deceit in that argument. Then... I love the fact that you went on, you went straight to the abortion issue. And the Supreme Court essentially said, this is a state decision, state by state decision. So here's what's wrong. Here's what is, I'm not gonna say wrong, but here's what, here's what's inefficient about that. It was through state rights that Mississippi was able to have a segregated school system as long as it had. It was through state rights. It's still through state rights that many states try to void individual votes of certain demographic groups through gerrymandering. The only reason there isn't more gerrymandering nationally is because of the Civil Rights Act and because of the Voter Rights Act, which was passed as well as, cert as certain judicial judgments and decisions that put 
voting practices under the auspices of the federal government to make sure that they were fair, especially for federal elections. They drew a demarcation on state rights and said, you don't get to decide who gets to vote for federal elections unless it's fair. Now, when it gets to abortion, all of a sudden, you suddenly see the euphemistic term there too. When Roe v. Wade was the national goal, the national norm, the argument was each state should have a, should, should decide. And those with privilege and superiority and, and, and supremacy, i.e. white men, didn't think that they would lose the battle at the state level. But they didn't understand the gender population split. And so all of a sudden, they get what they want. The Supreme Court nullifies Roe v. Wade and says each state should make their own decision. And then the suddenly, the Republican legislatures in some states discovered that they didn't have the votes. They enacted these punitive abortion laws signed by Republican governors only to be challenged by constitutional amendments. And what do they do? They move the goalposts again. Ohio tries to make it more difficult to change the Constitution. Everybody's surprised that Kansas protects the right of abortion by a constitutional amendment. This isn't about state rights. This is about power. And who holds the power? And who might be about to lose some of that power? This isn't even about democracy, because the power that people have had through past democratic practices has been usurped by unfair policies and laws. How come I keep feeling we're going backwards? It's not that we're going backwards. We haven't gone forward enough. Right. And I don't understand why anybody is surprised that the fight continues. They're not just going. Nobody's going to roll over, especially when you're in power. So talking about power, this fragmentation within the three branches of the government. Did you see the statement that came out from the presidential foundations and centers? No. These. This is a statement that came out from the 13 different presidential centers. It was a joint statement from all of the, you know, the Clinton, the Clinton Center, the uh, Hoover Center about the future and a call to action for all Americans? Yes, and, and, and all the surviving presidents got together and to back the statement, yes. Right. And, and the statement really is a civics lesson. Yes. Which is what, you, what you've been talking about. And, and it's talking about the protection of rights of all people is paramount. We live among our fellow citizens, underscoring the importance of compassion, tolerance, pluralism, and respect for others. I mean, all of these things are civics that we have forgotten and lost. We have gone from civics to uncivil. And, you know, we have a, a level of civil unrest that we're dealing with throughout all the issues that we've been talking about. Civility and respect in political discourse, whether in an election year or otherwise, are essential. We can't, we just don't seem to have civil discourse anymore. We can't have, we can't agree to disagree. And, and so, again, going back to the original premise that we've talked about, 
a lot of that is what leads to a civil war, isn't it? The inability to have a civil discourse and respect when it comes down to political differences. Yes. And I don't disagree with anything you said. I would change the tone of one phrase that you used, and that is not, and maybe not the tone. I would just rephrase it. Yes, we have a lot of incivility going on, but it is not as widespread as you think. What we have are a lot of shouters. And I, and, and I don't think the shouters amount to 40%. I don't. It doesn't take more than 10% of a population to make a loud noise. And it takes even less than that to make a loud noise in a civil environment. When I see Pence trying to be as truthful as he can be and gets shouted down by two or three people and then everybody else claps, here's how I interpret that. The two or three people who do the shouting, they're reminding everybody, nope, 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 that's not what Trump wants. Remember, this man is a traitor. He could have stopped the election. And the clapping is, I hate to say this, but the clapping is I'm on their side. I don't, I kind of agree with what Pence is saying, but I don't want anybody to think that I'm on his side and I don't want them attacking my child or coming after my wife. It's just not worth it. So I'm going to clap too. And so in these times, when we have Nazis and fascists, fascists, and I'm sorry, but that's what I'm going to call those those people who are intolerant of discussions because that those are the tactics that they use. I'm not talking about the clappers. I'm talking about the shouters. I'm talking about the phone callers. I'm talking about the emailers. And I'm not talking about those who express their opinions through whatever platform they want. I'm talking about those who attack those who express their opinions, who were never asked to attack them. I'm talking about those people who make the rubies of the world stop going to the grocery store just because they volunteered at a voting poll. I'm sure you saw the threats against the uh, attorney general of Georgia that were both extremely racist in nature too not attorney general but the district attorney district attorney yes i'm sorry the district yes yes as well as in new york yes but i wouldn't doubt that governor kemp has also received the same threats not racist but threats because he protected he said not on my watch we will not be getting rid of the the district attorney on my watch, because she's done nothing that broke this this new law that's coming into effect, or she has not failed to do anything that fits this new law. The vocal minority who is out shouting the civil majority is getting what they want. Yes, and and that's because... Unlike, un- unfortunately, the presidential statement had to be presidential. Right. But it doesn't go far enough. If you want to shut down the vocal minority, 
then you must be vocal yourself. Right. But the quiet majority, I believe, is intimidated by the vocal minority. Of course, because the vocal minority are the are 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 the same people that will also come to your house and knock on your door. It's a misnomer to call them vocal minority. They are the valent minority. The the vocality of is just one tactic. It that 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 is violence when you hear people boo somebody on a stage who has said something that they didn't like. It is meant to be violent. It reminds me of the 1930s and 40s in Europe. Yes. Yes. And, and we, I saw say the, that, we saw how that worked out. And I say the same thing when during the, um, the um, dollar store shooting in Florida, when DeSantis went into this Black community to say, this is not what we stand for when he did his gubernatorial duty to say, we will stand with you and we will prosecute this man, blah, blah, blah. Of course, the man was dead, I believe, right? But anyway, he he did his part and he was booed. You know, now he was down there trying to be empathetic. I want to believe that he believed that he should be there and he needed to do and that he really thought what happened was a tragedy and was wrong. But it's hard to believe that when he is, when he's the architect of the Wolf War, it's hard to believe that when he is the architect of challenging African-American studies in colleges and high schools, it's hard to believe that when he may actually believe that slavery was a incubator for jobs. Okay, I, I wanna move 90 degrees. What are we gonna do? What can we do? Because- Well, I think right now what we're doing is we're encouraging people to speak up. Correct. But we also need the leadership, the, the elected officials, to start to act by leading by example, by, yeah, but... to, by governing effectively. And I, I think there's a tremendous distrust in all three political wings right now. And how do we regain the trust of our politicians who we have democratically elected to represent us? So I can't answer that question. I don't have the answer to that question. Uh, I think you have to understand, number one, first of all, politics has always been full of graft and corrupt people. Uh, in my lifetime, I felt that as I watched the civil rights movement move forward, I saw more and more people running for office as a profession than as a social goal. And when you're running for office as a profession, then you become compromised easily and biased and your biases are supported more easily. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I have to talk out of both sides of my mouth because I believe Doc, that Biden is a fantastic president because of the experiences he's had as a politician. I believe that California, moving from Mississippi to California, the politics in California are so complicated that if we had a legislator, legislature of amateurs every year, this state would really fall apart. And so I use the word professional loosely to represent more a personal desire rather than a profession, a means to support oneself, a means to achieve fame and fortune rather than a commitment to community and civics. I also think when you ask that question that it's not just about the shouters either. When you have legislators who are being indicted and you can take the former president off the table and you still got legislators that are being indicted for malfeasance. You know, you still got people who are falsifying records just to run. You, you still got people, you know, adopting minority status or Jewish status, and they're not it, because it makes them more attractive. You know, that type of deception and, um, and uh, false salesmanship makes it a, a lot more difficult. But, but it goes back to society accepting less than minimum standards of piety. You know, when you have judges who claim that they didn't report lavish vacations supported by outside interests because the rules changed and they didn't know that they had to revise their tax forms. If they knew the rules changed and they didn't understand the rules changed, they know how to hire an accountant. And all of these positions are not elected. Some of them are appointed. Yeah, but who are they appointed by? Not us. Well, they're appointed by by the people we elect. But right. the rule, but the rules that are there have to be changed. It takes a strong leader, and they are rare, to come in and say, guys. Affirmation of the Supreme Court justice is a joke. Let's start over. Why would anybody want to go into politics these days? Well, I just told you, fame and fortune. Exactly. But that's not what politics... But, no, but, see, but now, see, that's the cynical view. Okay. There, there are people who want to go into politics. I mean, or would really consider it. You, you're talking to one. But... Everybody who considers it asks the question, why would I do that? Why would I subject my family to that? I don't care. I, I, I'm willing to, to be subjected to it. I'm just not sure I'm willing to be to subject my family. I mean, every day feels uncomfortable. There's just a... Why don't you run? 
I'm I'm running away, not running towards. Why? Because I like stability, and I don't want people looking at me and passing judgment. See? And that's really what it's all about. I don't mind being a leader. I don't mind being an influencer, but I don't need to run for a political office and have people who don't know me making judgments because of color, race, religion, where I live, what I do, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the politics is not about having an opinion any longer. It's having a clean, it's having paid the right people to get you elected. It's not about what you have to say. It's what people are telling you to say. It's not what we really used to have. It's being chosen by the right people to represent their special interests. And I don't represent special interests. You do. You have your own. Your interests are special to you. See, I get tired of these special interests. The, the word special interest. Right. That's just another cold word by saying you're bought by somebody. And that's, that's what not I mean. I'm not but, bought but by somebody. That's not necessarily the case. Right. Right. You're not, you know, everybody who has a special interest isn't necessarily bought. Well, I think part of and 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 even our language, the language that we use in politics and in social discourse and in our conversations are designed to engender warfare. Yes. We're going to battle. You know, the war, the war on poverty, right? The war, the war on drugs. You know, if it's not a war, then we're going to go to battle. If we're not going to battle, we're going to use word like special interest, which means that you're already bought. So there's nothing I can I can do for you. Yeah, or there'll, probably, there'll, there'll be a skirmish coming up pretty soon when it comes down to. Yeah. Or or if as soon as I'm president, I'm going to slash the throat of this person. Well, and yeah, well, again, politics is is lost a lot of trust, and but it's not just politics. See, I yeah. guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, all politics are local, and if you can't talk locally, I mean, school boards now, you know, I, our biggest problem isn't that you have a special interest. You may want to run for office because you think the school system sucks, and you think you have the answer. That's a special interest. There's nothing wrong with that. With with that, nothing. And if you get the teachers' association behind you because they they agree, then all of a sudden somebody makes it makes that sinister. It's not. Here's what's sinister. What's sinister is when I can't vote for you because you have the teachers' union behind you. Right, and there's too much pressure upon you to not vote for me. Yes, or. I agree with your, I, I can make it worse. I agree with what you want to do. I just wish the teachers union wasn't behind you. Yeah. No, I mean, this This is. Okay. That's that. That's where we become intolerant. All right. Well, or you are a liberal Republican. Never heard of one, but you are a liberal Republican. And you want to do a certain way, certain something for the schools a, a certain way. And I like it. I agree with you. But I will never vote for a Republican. Never. I'm pretending here. All right? Because I have voted for Republicans in the past. But on the other hand, if you identified yourself as a liberal Republican, 
the MAGA Republicans will look at you like, you're not part of this party. Why don't you start a third party? That is what intolerance is. Well, I, I think this last couple of segments that we've done are examples of courageous conversations that need to start at a grassroots level. I don't think, I think the change uh, in Washington will take time. It needs, mm. it needs to be done quickly, but it's going to take time. And it's going to take time, and it's going to start at the grassroots level, and it's going to start from people being dissatisfied and electing or choosing to run so they can bring civility back. And you want are, to... Go ahead, I'm sorry. And that are willing to conduct a dialogue where they actually listen to what the other party has to say instead of talking over them. And I, I think we have to think about how we can institute slow long-term change because I just don't see how we can do this quickly and get an outcome. If you do make quick change, I think that's when you start to get into the use of battle and war and skirmish and everything else. That's how quick change comes. Long-term change comes from a grassroots level. Well, I agree. Uh, I, I, if you want to change Washington, though, if you truly want to change Washington, you change Santa Monica. Right. You change Upland. Right. And through that, you change the state legislature. Right. And through that, you change the state Senate representatives, if right. that's what you want. And, 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 but that change has to inculcate a reaffirmation of fair play. Absolutely. And morality. Yep. But as you said, it starts locally. As you said earlier, all politics is local. Yes. And so there are probably people who listen to us and say, damn, I want to do something. We'll do it. Get involved. I think there's a lot of us who are afraid to get involved because of the going back to the vocal minority who have become a threatening minority at the same time. Well, one of the things I one of the things that I like about Attorney Lewis is that she's holding Powell and Giuliani and Trump accountable for what they did to those two poll workers and how uh, and the way they sacrificed their their livelihood and esteem for political reasons. I can only hope that our justice system is just. I truly believe that the members of the justice system, for the most part, have a calling and have been trained and that the, the system of, of training and appointment, for the most part, works. So I have one more question before we wrap this up. There are going to be a number of jury trials conducted in the next year and a half. How much jury tampering do you anticipate? I, I have no idea. I don't think it's going to be clean. I think there's going to be some 
definite efforts to impact the votes of people on the juries? Well, I don't have that cynicism. I have no reason to think you're wrong. I have every reason to understand why you think that. But I have no reason to think that myself, except for the way Trump tries to do it through public pressures. Now, if you're talking about actual, if you're talking about actual intimidation or tampering at the jury level, I think that is possible and it could go both ways and and it could occur on both sides because people are beginning to think just like you and to think, you know, I, I don't think about called finding the jury's name and address and calling them or finding their child and intimidating them. But there are people who are doing that right now at the same time, I think every precaution is going to be made that can be made to keep these the, the jury identities secret until afterwards, until after the fact, just like they did the grand jury and the preliminary grand jury in, in, in Georgia. I'm amazed that they let the names out afterwards. And I'm waiting to see what repercussions that might have. The outcomes of these trials could be Lexington and Concord. So I believe that even with attempted jury tampering, unless it's through bribes, et cetera, I believe that if if it's through threats, stuff like that, what we've seen in the past is that tends to to, uh, entrench resolve. I, I agree with Lewis's statement when she announced the indictment of Trump and the re- and, and the use of the RICO uh, standard. And she said, people on grand juries are smart. She didn't add, and I will add, they're also committed. You know, many people who get picked for a grand jury, they don't want to be on the jury to begin with. No, I know very few people who volunteer, <laughs> who stand up and say, I got time for this. Yes, let, let, let me do it, right? And everybody, and every time I'm called up for a grand jury, I hold my nose and go in. But but at the same time, I know that I'm never going to get picked because they think that by picking somebody who's not edu- who's not an educator, who doesn't have three degrees, they they can influence that person more, right? But you and I both know. I mean, particularly the, the American population, they have their views, but they do try to be fair. They really do, you know, and the discussion we had we had last week about the discussions I had while while I was fishing, you know, that illustrates that. You couldn't find two people more diametrically opposed politically. And yet we did unite as Americans. You couldn't have found two people who protected their states more. Well, I didn't I didn't do much protecting verbally, but I was offended that Texas was supposed to be so great. And, and I just listened. But still, we were able to bridge those gaps. I think that people long for a civil conversation. 
Well, and I think these courageous conversations are here to encourage those. And so they are. on that note, we shall see what the future brings because neither of us can predict it and both of us are eager to see it as long as the outcome is what we want. <laughs> <laughs> no, and what we want is a fair outcome. Correct. And we, and, and we want everybody to see a fair, a fair process regardless of the outcome. Correct. And and be willing to accept the outcome as fair exclamation point. Exactly. And you can only do that if you know the process is fair. Right. That's why I believe that there is a preeminent interest of the public to see these trials. Well, I guess uh, we'll see where our TV stations are turned in the coming <laughs> months and years ahead and in the meantime we hope that your podcast stations are directed to courageous conversation or www.peterandphil.com in the meantime thank you dr nelson thank you nationwide thank you producer nicole and thanks to all of our listeners for sitting through some heavy conversations and uh We'll look to lighten it up in the future, but we gotta we gotta deal with what we gotta deal with. Yes, and Peter and I do not want to be accused of sidestepping the issues. We do realize, however, that there's some important issues in veterinary medicine we have to address as well. And, and we'll do that next time. And we will do that next time. Peter, it was enjoyable. It was tense and as well as unnerving. But I learned something from you today, and I want to thank you, my friend. Back at you. Always do. And to be continued. Thank you, Phil. Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.